Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast by two moms who write about autism and who also happen to be Star Trek fans. We talk about the new series, compare it with previous versions of Star Trek, and also talk about any autism examples we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth. Hi, I'm Vicki. Together, we are Moms Going Boldly. Today we are talking about the episode, What is Past is Prologue. This episode has collaborative problem solving, strong leadership, self-sacrifice, and excellent battle scenes. It's exactly what we love about Star Trek. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly. Today we are talking about the episode, What is Past is Prologue. And just to start off with, what did you think of this episode? It's a good episode. It was a good episode. And did it feel like Star Trek to you? Because it felt like Star Trek to me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So we can talk about why we thought it felt like Star Trek as we move through this. So this episode opens on the palace ship. And we get a recap of the previous episode, Vaulting Ambition, before we go to the credits. And then we open the episode with seeing Captain Lorca releasing all of his followers from their agony booths. And he's preparing his coup. And one of his followers that he pulls out of the agony booth is Commander Landry, which is great to see her again. And she's clearly yeah. his loyal right-hand person again. His first stop after he releases his followers is to the laboratory to find Mirror Stamets. And one of the funny lines in the show occurred at this time when he found Stamets hiding behind a holographic image of a wall, pulls him out, and Stamets says, Gabriel, I really hoped you were dead. <laughs> I, it, that was good, yes. They coerce his cooperation. He's going to cooperate with Lorca under duress because he's the one that ratted out Lorca's coup to the Emperor. And it was Stamets's fault that Lorca and Burnham had to go on the run when the coup was discovered. But then we get this great fill-in-the-gap backstory from Lorca about how he actually made it into our universe. And when he was trying to escape, he ran into an ion storm. Now, that's what happened in the original series episode, Mirror, Mirror. Yes. Our universe's team was beaming up from the Halkin planet. The Halkin planet was what the planet that the rebel base was on that the Emperor's ship destroyed. Okay. It was the Halkin planet in the original series that they were beaming up from in the middle of an ion storm when the crossover took place and they ended up on the Mirror Mirror ship. Right. With their fabulous new costumes and Spock with his goatee. Stamets agrees to help Lorca. He's got a bioweapon that they start using to eliminate the crew on the palace ship. And the Emperor is observing all of this from the throne room. And she's under the impression that all she needs to do is wait for Lorca to continue destroying her crew. And then she'll be able to pinpoint where he is. And Burnham is trying to explain to her that he's incredibly manipulative. She's like, I know all about that. And oh, by the way, you're going to the brig. And yeah was confused about that but okay you know what well, what did you find confusing well she knew that wasn't her michael that betrayed her so now why is she sending her to the brig i think she sent her to the brig because she didn't know where her loyalties were yeah i guess but she seemed to be 
helping her, although. So do you think she did that on purpose, knowing that Burnham would be able to escape the the guards that were going to take her to the brig so that she could help accomplish a defeat of Lorca? I don't know. I don't know. I just didn't really seem to be helping her. And that, so why would she send her to the brig? Yeah, I kind of just got the feeling that she needed to take this rogue element out of her strategy. You know, she has Lorca and his followers and they're trying to do this crew and she needed to take this unknown element out of out of play regardless burnham did escape from her captors and starts to make her way through the ship then we go and we see discovery and discovery is warping as fast as it can to get to the palace ship to finalize this agreement that they had made in the last episode which is the emperor gets to see the spore drive and then they get to see the data on mm-hmm. the Defiant. Right. And, and our Stamets, our universe's Stamets, is realizing that the palace ship's mycelial reactor is actually doing so much damage to the mycelial network that it was going to cause the destruction of all life in the universe. Another great line happens here when Saru is so perplexed that any culture could utilize a resource to its complete depletion <laughs> and their own destruction. And Stamet says, well, sustainability is not one of their objectives. Of course, that's another subtle message that we were talking about last time about Star Trek, you know, communicating important issues of the day through their story. And of course, sustainable resources is an important issue that we are facing right now in our society. So it was kind of nicely woven in without hitting you on the head too many times about it. Exactly. We go back to the palace ship, and the Emperor is mobilizing her forces to defend her ship. I really like the fact that she was leading this battle herself. What did you think about that? No, yeah, I did too. I was surprised. Actually, it didn't occur to me that she would, and I was kind of surprised that she did. And I thought it was cool because sometimes when you have a leader that, you know, leads their forces into battle under these kind of circumstances, they do it in a hot-headed kind of way. Right. But she wasn't. And they had this great battle scene in essentially what was a hallway between Lorca's forces and her forces. And neither side was really hot-headed. It was very efficient and effective fighting with twists and turns. It was kind of fun to watch. One of the things that I noticed, I don't know if you noticed this, but Lorca's weapons were set to kill. And they essentially vaporized everyone, whereas the Emperor's weapons didn't. But she killed him, though. I don't know. Did she? Or did they just get knocked unconscious? And I wonder if her reasoning is so she can make them suffer in the agonizer booth instead of... She doesn't seem to think killing is a punishment. Probably says something about their style and their goals. And I think your theory of she wants to be... She wants to have people left over so they can be punished and serve as examples is a really good thought. Yeah. And they've got Stamets there and he's doing techie stuff to try to help them because he doesn't want them to kill him because he betrayed them in the first place. So he's focusing on the force shield that she had erected to protect her people. And then she uses essentially a site-to-site transport to escape from the battle zone. And they're like, we need you to make that not work anymore, Stamets. And he's like, yeah, I can do that. Meanwhile, we see Burnham essentially in what looks like a palace ship Jeffrey's tube. And she is trying to get a hold of the Discovery, and she gets a hold of Saru, and there's this lovely exchange of how glad they are to see each other, and it seems so sincere and heartfelt. Yes. This relationship has come a long way. It has. 
So she explains that Lorca's not who they thought he was, and he's trying to overturn the emperor and they explain to her that the reactor on the palace ship is going to cause the destruction of the entire universe and so they make a plan that she's going to lower the force shield around the reactor and they're going to destroy it and save the network and thereby save the universe right then we get back to the throne room Lorca has made his way to the throne room, so now he's in the seat of power and we don't know where the emperor is because she's beamed away Lorca went full Lucius Malfoy here, talking about how it was his destiny and his fate. <laughs> this is the only time that I've seen this actor, Jason Isaacs, remind me of his Malfoy character, but that was the moment. I was like, oh, he sounds just like him. <laughs> so after his Malfoy-esque discussion of fate and destiny, they kill Stamets. They were going to throw him into the reactor with the mycelium spores and stuff, but then they just shoot him and make him go away. Which, were you surprised at that? Did you actually think they were going to do that? Did they, did they think they were going to throw him in? Or just kill him? Um, I, I didn't think, I, it didn't occur to me that they would do that, but I don't think I was shocked when they did. At the beginning of this episode, because the writers have done all these wonderful twists and turns with the storytelling, I was half ready to believe that Lorca was actually going to be willing to overthrow the Emperor and set up a Federation-like framework. I was kind of expecting that to happen, to be the twist, where we think we hate Lorca because he lied, but in reality, Lorca is actually going to be promoting what we think is the better form of governance. But then he, they started killing everyone, and I knew he was just bad. They detect the transmission from Burnham to Discovery, and so Lorca broadcasts throughout the whole ship a conversation he's trying to have with Burnham, trying to talk her into joining him, and he uses his destiny and fate theme again. And then the other thing he does, which I thought was really, again, you know, Lorca manipulation, he's an expert at it, he tried to absolve her for the battle at the Binary Stars. Did you catch that? Yes. He thought that was her weak point. He thought that's where he could get under her skin and manipulate her, was to absolve her, say it wasn't your fault. You did the right thing. You were a strong person when you made those decisions. Right. So then we follow Burnham, and she finds the emperor. There's, this is a really good exchange between them. The emperor looks defeated. She looks like she's not sure what to do next. Burnham explains to her that she doesn't believe all the fate and destiny stuff. She says, my destiny is my own, and I make my own destiny, which is wonderful. It refutes what Lorca is saying and shows us that she is truly her own person, and she doesn't need his absolution for the Battle of the Binary Stars. Right. So they make a plan, and we don't get to know what the plan is. We just see that there's a coming of the minds between Burnham and the Emperor, and then we go back to Discovery. And they're having a conversation with a lot of the crew. They're discussing what they're going to need to do in order to destroy this mycelial reactor. And they're concerned because they think they're going to die if they do this. It was, it was well, Saru's speech and everything was nice, and they all seemed to be willing to do that. And that was one of those wonderful Star Trek moments. Yeah. Where they recognized that in order to save the universe, they might need to sacrifice themselves. And they were all grasping that reality, but doing so in a really wonderful Starfleet, this is how it goes kind of way, then this is how it goes. But then Saru stands up and says, you know what? I don't think it's going to go that way. And he did an awesome speech. He did. It was an excellent, 
it was an excellent speech and that he's going to continue to be the captain now. Exactly right. Lorca's not our captain anymore. Discovery is ours. Right. So he didn't even say mine. He said ours. Oh. And then he said, and as far as I'm concerned, this is the maiden voyage of Discovery. Sort of like they're starting all over again. I just thought it was, I thought it was an amazing way for him to establish his leadership with this group. It was. So we go back to the palace ship and the crew appears to be successful. We've got reports coming in that everyone who hasn't died for the emperor is changing their allegiances to Lorca. And then we receive notice, Landry receives notice that Michael Burnham has shown up and she comes in with the emperor in her custody. And what we have here is, pun very much intended, a mirror scene for when Burnham brought Lorca in, in front of the emperor. To, even to the degree where it, we find out that it's all subterfuge to attack Lorca, in the same way that Lorca's coming in was subterfuge to get the defiant data. Exactly. Then we go back to the discovery, where Tilly and Stamets are trying to figure out how not to die when they blow up the reactor. And Tilly says the, the great line about how she doesn't believe in no-win scenarios. Oh, right, because cause Saru had said that. Exactly. Right. No Kobayashi Maru for Tilly. <laughs> so she uses science to explain how they can escape. And what they talk about doing is when they blow up the reactor, there's going to be all these stray spores floating around, and they can ride the shockwave out and absorb the spores into their own drive and use it to go home. Then we go back to the throne room, and Discovery arrives, and Burnham sends the code to Saru, I'm where I need to be. Discovery attacks the palace ship. Burnham and the Emperor attack everyone around them. There's an amazing battle scene. Yeah, it was. We get to see Michelle Yeoh in her absolute best form. She's so awesome. It was. There was a couple of kicks there that I was like, I don't even know what she did. <laughs> Michael Burnham and the Emperor come out on top and the Emperor and, and there's a wonderful moment where Michael Burnham has Lorica and she says to him, if you had asked, we would have found a way home for you because that's Starfleet and that's who I am and that's why I'm not going to kill you. But then the Emperor says, but I am. Yeah. And she does. And then Lorica falls into the open pit where the mycelium reactor is. Meanwhile, Saru is in the, in the Discovery telling his crew how, what they need to do and how they need to be ready and what they're doing. And he sounds so good as captain, doesn't he? He does. He's, he's it's such a different, again, a couple episodes ago, but it's just such a change. He is, yeah, yeah confident, but supportive. Yeah. He's, he knows that they can do the job. He knows that it's just a matter of him coordinating all the wonderful skills of the people around him. The Emperor tells Michael Burnham to leave. And says, you know, I'm really glad to know that you're going to be alive. You reminded me of my Michael Burnham a little bit there. And just go, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to fight to the death because there's really nothing else I can do. My, my reign is over. And so just as Michael Burnham asks for transport for discovery and they start to transport her, she runs over and she grabs the emperor. And the emperor's uh. beamed over to discovery too. Was that not the biggest mistake ever? God, I know. I even wrote that down because this woman, growing up as a Vulcan, when her emotions kick in, she makes the worst choices. The worst choices. I couldn't believe she did that. I could because she makes the worst choices. But <laughs> I'm 
right there with you. I was like, what are oh, you doing? God. It was like an awesome ending. You received your, you know, the, the blessing of your mother in the form of the emperor. Just take it and go. She beans over with the emperor, and then the discovery blows up the mycelial reactor. They ride the shockwave out. They get enough spores to trigger the drive. Stamets is in the mycelial network. There's so many links, he doesn't know what to do, but he remembers what Dr. Colbert said to him in his altered reality state to, to follow the music. And so he's able to find their way back to right. our universe. And then they discover that it's their universe nine months later. Right. I wonder, I'm, I'm wondering if the nine months is a significant timeline. God, I hope not. <laughs> I would really love it if no uteruses were involved here. <laughs> Can we just be people, please, and not walking uteruses? Oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. <laughs> so I'm just going to hope that that's just like a round number. <laughs> a random, random number they came up with. Yeah. And Lord, he was never, like, on par with our ver our expectations of a Star Trek captain. He did always exude authority. Times when he did appear to be captain-like. But he turned into the most... It was almost pathetic. I almost felt sorry for him just for a minute. When? Towards the end, before he was going to die. Because it seemed like everything had, was about Michael in a way. And I know maybe some of it's love, but I don't think it's all, you know, about love. I think it's about power and what he could do for her. But it, he just seemed like the, a pathetic puppy dog. Like, it was such a change. He, he didn't any authority to me at, towards the end. It yeah. was just, it yeah. was all about her. It was all about, he was willing to believe anything she said, even after, you know... Yeah, I agree. I, he did seem to change. It was almost as if the assumption of the authority of Emperor was a little frightening to him, especially without Michael Burnham at his side. Yeah, it was bothering me. He was, he's evil. But he just seemed to go from this authoritative figure to this pathetic. After she attacked him, he was still hoping that she was going to come to him, come yeah. to his side. And it didn't feel like love. No. I mean, it, it appeared that way from uh, from the outside looking in. You would think, oh, my God, he's really in love with her. And he really can't live without her. And obviously, knowing him, that's not what it is. It's about power. And probably, like you said, he can't. He doesn't think he could do it by himself. Also, did you see how he called the emperor Pippa? Yes. So that suggests a certain amount of intimacy in their relationship. It's a huge betrayal. We get back to our universe, and it's nine months later, and they try to figure out what's going on in their universe. They cannot get a hold of Starfleet where they expect to find Starfleet. And they realize that in the course of the nine months while they've been gone, the Klingons have completely taken over the quadrant. Yes. And they are in Klingon territory. And it doesn't look good for the Federation. In addition, there is one scene, and it's right, right at the time when they're trying to, uh, you know, move through the mycelial network, where you see the spores floating through the laboratory and one of them lands on Tilly's shoulder. What do you think that was? First, very first thought was, oh, I still have to worry about Tilly. Yeah. My second thought, well, was that Lorca did fall into the yes. reactor. So I'm wondering if it's a part of him or if that's a part of 
I don't know. I think I it's know. a really good question because I, when I watched it the second time, he clearly started to break up into small little yeah. spory pieces. So I was wondering if some part of his consciousness might have gone there too. But the other thing I was kind of worried about was that if there was still contamination in the network, what if it might have infected her? With her mirror universe personality is what I was thinking first. Oh, I was thinking more along the lines of the. You remember? Well, in the in oh, the, the um, yeah, there's something that was sort of eating the mirror Stamets's arm and eating Doctor Culber's arm when they were in that sort of alternate reality with the Stamets's. I'm kind of wondering that, if she might be infected with that. That could be too. Because they did show that in the recap. They did. And they showed it saying, oh, you know, the, the mycelial network is infected. So it, w- it could have been in support of the conversation that Stamets had on the bridge with Saru and Tilly about how we need to destroy the reactor because they're going to kill all life as we know it. But it also could have been to prepare us for Tilly being infected. I think that's possible. Yeah. I really don't think, I don't really think we're done with Lorca yet. I hope not. Whether his real universe person, I don't know where, we don't know where that is. I, I just don't think we're finished with Lorca yet. I don't know where he is, a real Lorca. So I just don't think he's gone. I think there's somehow we're going to get one or the other. Which will be fun because yeah. because now we have the Mirror Universe Emperor, so why not? Right. That would actually be a very interesting sort of turn of events if Tilly is possessed by Lorca's consciousness and she tries to kill the Mirror Universe Emperor. Yeah, there's a there's a hundred different scenarios. That could... There really are. Oh, what fun. Oh, and the other thing that we should discuss is how we didn't see anything in this episode about Ash Tyler or Laurel. So I think we can expect next week's episode to be very Tyler Laurel, Tyler Vock heavy. Now, we talked about at the beginning of this episode how this episode felt very Star Trek. And I was thinking about why it felt that way to me. And I realized that it was because there were these wonderfully familiar components. We had the threat to the entire universe, all life in the universe that our crew had to deal with. We had amazing collaborative problem solving from everyone in the crew. And we had exciting battle scenes and edge of the seat excitement and action. And those are all those three things that we frequently see from Star Trek. Plus we had the, the lesson, the social lesson. They were all wrapped up very nicely in this episode. I agree. Well, next episode is the last episode of the first season. It's entitled The War Within and The War Without. We saw the trailer for that. Any thoughts on the trailer? We saw a little of Laurel. So and we I, saw the and we saw the Admiral back. Right. With Sarek. With Sarek, yes. After this whole Lorca pseudo daddy grooming thing Sarek and his choosing his son over his foster daughters doesn't seem like such a bad dad after all he absolutely doesn't seem like such a bad guy after all (laughs) and then after that we're we're done with the first season which is hard to believe as you and I have discussed what we are going to do after last episode is maybe talk about a few other episodes of Star Trek here and there Uh, And one of the things that we were asking our listeners to do is if you have any suggestions as to episodes from any of the series that you think um, you'd like to hear us talk about, please go ahead and make suggestions in the comment box that's at the bottom of the page on the Podbean podcast site, and we will be happy to take a look at that, including animated series. I think we can watch the animated series on Netflix, can't we? I believe so. And I loved those when I was a kid. 
See, I don't even remember that. Really? As a kid. Is and that's so odd because like I said, I watched the original run. I was eight years old when it was when it came on the air, I think. And I do I never remember seeing a, the animated series. I don't know why. I remember watching the animated series. It was on Saturday mornings, probably snuggled up between Sigmund the Sea Monster and, yeah, and HR Puffin stuff. I, I remember HR Puffin <laughs> stuff. Well, then maybe this will be an opportunity to watch it. So yes. if our if our listeners would like us to review any episodes in the animated series, please let us know. We'd be happy to do so. It'd be fun to get Vicky's take on them having no memory of them. I think we know what our next course of action might very well be. <laughs> If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find me at autismmom.com. That's autism-mom.com. You can find me at takingstep.com. And we hope that you will join us for the next episode of Moms Going Boldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is entitled Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. It is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. And please follow Ross Bugden on Twitter, at Ross Bugden.